special edition of our show, Herstory on the Rocks, with Katie and Allie. Normally, it would just be Allie and I hanging out with a couple of cocktails, talking about famous women in history, but sometimes we like to, we like to talk to people who are writing about women in history. Yes, we do, and we have a very special guest here with us today, Matthew Pearl. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. We're really excited to have you. Matthew is an author of fiction and nonfiction and the co-founder of the digital magazine, Truly Adventurous. Today, he's here to talk with us about his newest book, The Taking of Jemima Boone, Colonial Settlers, Tribal Nations, and the Kidnap That Shaped America. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did not grow up thinking about being a writer. It was not, not my dream. Um, not because I, I, I think it would have appealed to me. I think if I had thought about it, but the idea of being a writer, um, just didn't occur to me. It was, it was something too, uh, too removed from, from life. You know, I, I actually never met a writer that I can remember until I was much older. And, um, when I found myself eventually in law school, and missing literature as a reader, because that's not a big part of, of law school curriculum, right? That's when I started, I think, sort of psychoanalyzing myself, groping around for a, um, an outlet, and it became writing, my creative outlet. So, um, so that's what I do. I'm a writer, and as you mentioned, an editor. I'm based in, in South Florida now, with, uh, where I live with my wife and three kids and dog and hedgehog. <laughs> perfect well before we get into the book we do have a cocktail that we made for your book in honor of this famed kidnapping <laughs> um so it's just called the jemima boon um so it's really simple it's an ounce of spice rum it's an ounce of cinnamon schnapps and then you top the whole thing off with ginger beer and it turns a lovely pink color so <laughs> cheers <Amazing>. to the book. <laughs> thank you We'll send you the recipe so that you can have it every time you read your book. Yeah, yeah, and I'll I, if there's book clubs that that read the book, I'll I'll send it their way too. Yes. Oh gosh, that would be great. <laughs> it does taste like just a big stick of big red gum. Which is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, perfect. So we're going to talk about your book, and obviously from the title, it is about the kidnapping of a young girl named Jemima Boone, who is the daughter of Daniel Boone. Is that correct? That's right. Okay, perfect. So, I mean, it kind of seems to me like this is like the Lindbergh baby event <laughs> of their time. Like, this is a very famous man. His daughter gets kidnapped. Um, but before we get into the story, can you set the scene a little bit for what life is like in Kentucky um, at this time in America? Absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's a brand new experience uh, to, to be there in Kentucky for the settlers. Um, the American Indians have been using that area as hunting grounds um, that, that we think of as the frontier, um, living more on the perimeter of, of from where Kentucky is. But it's a vital part of their of their way of life. But for settlers, um, have been pushing westward more and more as we get closer to what ends up being the the American Revolution. So in the, in the 1770s, and it's right before that, 1775, when we get the most aggressive push into Kentucky, led in part by Daniel Boone. Now, everyone um, who I talk to uh, usually 
asks uh, what the difference is between Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett. Two different people, <laughs> right? But somehow in our popular culture, they've, they've merged or, or gotten confused with each other. Um, Davy Crockett is later. Yeah, it's the, right. It's our image of the, of the coonskin. It's, I think it's, it's the fault of, of the 1960s TV shows, which probably none of us have ever seen. Oh, I've seen them. Oh, you have seen them. Oh, Oh. my mom had VHS recordings of (laughs) all of it. Impressive. I I somehow missed it. I had other things that I shouldn't know anything about, like the the many loves of Dobie Gillis and the Nick (laughs) kind of um, programming that that I should know nothing about. But I somehow missed the the Davy Crockett, Daniel Boone shows. But the, the real Daniel Boone was a, um, a frontiersman, kind of the consummate frontiersman, um, in that his, his sort of driving force was to settle new lands. He would get restless wherever he was. They had many children, um, depending on, on, because some of them would pass away either young or, or a bit older. It's, it, 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 I don't, I, I, I never, uh, remember at what point they have 10 children, eight children, but they, they give birth um, uh, Rebecca Boone gives birth to 10 children. And at this point, um, he has become restless again. And there's a series of treaties that are being made with the American Indians that allow, at least, I should say, at least in the settler's mind, allow them to push farther in, into that land that will become Kentucky. Kentucky is, is a tribal word, we think. We actually can never quite determine where it came from, but it resembles some some tribal language, including um, one word that means appropriately enough, land of tomorrow. And this was really the sense that uh, the Boones and, and, and other families who decided to, to venture there um, really brought with them, that this is fu- the future, right? And that, that's kind of the driving force of the frontier is that you're, you're constantly in movement and, and planting a new flag. So uh, there's a, a few settlements that are, that are kind of rising up as we're in, into 1775 to 1776 in Kentucky. And the most substantial one is called Boonesboro, named after um, our Daniel Boone, um, his daughter uh, Jemima, and his wife, Rebecca, are among the first women, the first settlers, uh, female settlers, who arrive in, in Boonesboro. And it's very close to the Kentucky River um, for the purposes of, of kind of resources for the settlement. And it's basically a series of cabins uh, laid out as a fort. The original Boonesboro no longer exists, but they've recreated it in a really wonderful way. If anyone finds themselves in that area of Kentucky, um, you can really feel like you're you're walking through that, and life is is hard uh, as it always was with the frontier. And um, no matter what your age or or gender or position in life was, you were you were constantly at work. Uh, and Jemima certainly was no exception. A very strong-willed young woman, um, very excited when a couple other young women came. Uh, from another family named the Callaways, and those would be two of her her good friends, Betsy and Fanny Calloway. Yeah, so can we hear a little bit about um, Jemima and Betsy and Fanny and just kind of learn what was their life like, about how old were they, kind of what's going on right before this kidnapping? Absolutely. Well, the funny thing about age back then is they didn't they didn't keep very good track even of their own ages. So sometimes they didn't know how old they were, um, but we're around 13 at this time for Jemima and her two friends are a bit older 
um, 14, 15, 16, in that range as we, we stretch out over the 1775 to 1776 period. And um, they are helping with everything around around the settlement. So um, with, with cooking, with making ammunition, which uh, Jemima was very proficient at, um, with uh, keeping track of the livestock and feeding and watering livestock. Um, a big thing in the frontier was salt. Uh, it was super important to collect salt, which would have been from the salt springs. And there's a whole, a whole kind of elaborate process by which you would collect the salt because that's what would preserve the meat mm-hmm. um, and allow you to, not, to, to have meat that wasn't rotting almost instantly, right? Otherwise, the hunters um, would, would kill the animals and there would be some meat very, very temporarily and then it would rot. So the salt was really important. It was also used for medicinal purposes. Um, and the hunting was a big, was a big problem actually, because, uh, it, and it's, I, I guess something that just sort of has come with the territory of Americans, even at this point before America was, a, was officially a country, uh, which was overhunting. They're almost instantly, the, the hunters were just killing way too much, uh, game, uh, to the point where nobody could believe there were be visitors from Europe, for example, who would pass through and would, and we have their, their sort of memoirs of passing through just in shock at how, how many animals were being killed for no reason, you know, sort of above and beyond the skins and, and the meat. Daniel Boone was actually part of a committee trying to, trying to rein that in. Um, so Jemima was, was, uh, was illiterate. Um, women were not um, uh, traditionally taught how to read or write on the frontier, um, extremely, extremely perceptive, ex- extremely sharp and uh, independent, very much um, a product of both her parents, both Rebecca and Daniel, who were incredibly gifted um, at living, uh, living off the land, living with nature. Um, that was also something that the whole family admired in, in observing and getting to know the, the American Indians who um, on, uh, was the other big part of life is that the American Indians could be your neighbors, could be your friends, but on, on the turn of a dime, Indians could become combatants, settlers could become combatants, and, and, and suddenly potential friends or neighbors uh, would be enemies. Hmm. And that's kind of where we find ourselves in this book at some point is this, I believe it's a, a native tribe in the area has kidnapped these three girls but it doesn't seem like it was on purpose at first to kidnap the daughter of Daniel Boone. It kind of seems like one of them recognized her and was like, oh my gosh, this could actually be a big opportunity for us. Yeah. So (laughs) what happened there? Yeah. So uh, if you remember, I mentioned a treaty, there was a big (laughs) treaty session that was in 1775. So now we're a year later in July, 1776. And one of the one of the tribal negotiators at that treaty was a, a man called Hanging Ma. And Hanging Ma had met the Boons and met Jemima. And, and he is now with a small party of warriors, um, tribal warriors that's a mixture of Shawnee, that, the Shawnee tribe, and, and Hanging Ma, who comes from the Cherokee tribe. And, um, and they are on a mission. Now, it's very, it, it's very challenging as a writer, as a storyteller, or as a historian to reconstruct at any moment exactly what what we what we know is going on or what we know is in people's heads, um, but we're in a crisis moment for the tribes, which is that the settlers are showing that they are here permanently, and we've talked about the hunting, right? So one byproduct of that overhunting 
is that literally the tribes found themselves in a fight for survival. That is how they survived. So to suddenly wake up one day and find that the the bison or or what they called buffalo, um, we would also call American buffalo, were suddenly vanishing. Uh, it was unimaginable. I mean, no one no one could have uh, sort of conceived of that happening. Their their way of life, as those those kinds of resources were being rapidly depleted, were at risk. And the settlers were were showing that they they were not going to stop. They were going to keep pushing westward. And the tribes had already for many years started to be dis, dislocated from where where they were um, where they were living and and what land they were using as resources because of the push of the colonies um, more and more west, even as rules were given to prevent that from the British. Um, it, there, were, there were constantly people, settlers in the frontier who, were, who would defy those rules. So the tribes were, were increasingly in a, in a stance of war and were now in the, in the Revolutionary War, so an actual war between the British and the colonists. Um, and the tribes are also under pressure from that because both sides are trying to lure them to help uh, fight the the other party. Um, so this is an opportunity uh, for the small group of warriors to try to uh, offset these treaties, which have given momentum and uh, and potentially or arguably authority for the settlers to push into their land um, to kind of fight back. So this is this is sort of a, a a rogue operation on some level that Hanging Ma is leading, and and as they're at the river and they see the three girls, they see Jemima, Betsy, and Fanny, and they're on a canoe. This is their day off. It's a Sunday. They've decided to go for a ride in the one canoe that the settlement of Boonesboro has, and this group of tribal warriors are hidden in the bush. So, um. From the fact that they're hidden and that uh, and some of the some of the details that the 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 women later gave, it's it's possible this was planned sometime in advance. It might have been an hour in advance, but there there was some sense that they were being watched. Um, and as they're on the canoe, uh, one of the tribal warriors goes into the water, comes up and grabs it and brings it to the other side. Um, away the the side opposite where Boonesboro is, and the girls are now their hostages. Wow. And then it seems like the girls, Hansel and Gretel, themselves way through the woods, right? Like they're like leaving a trail for people to find them. That sounds like some modern CSI stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they're really resourceful. Um, they, they, are, they are in fact trying to dig their, um, their feet into the, the ground to leave footprints to show where they're going. They're trying to break branches, leave, leave um, pieces of branches or leaves to show a uh, potential rescue party they're they're assuming or they're hoping um that a rescue party will will come for them um there's a a handkerchief that that Betsy has with her her initials monogrammed on it and she's ripping pieces of that um to to leave on the ground um Jemima also ties a piece of cloth that she rips off and she ties the number of knots of the captors so that she can leave that clue behind. And it's, it's, it's Daniel Boone, her father, who eventually will end up 
finding that and, and correctly interpreting what she's telling them. So yeah, these are, these are not, so for, for, this became a very famous moment in frontier history, but the girls were often depicted as passive um, and as just kind of being dragged around. And the, the, the Indians, um, not surprisingly, were depicted as kind of demonic, evil figures. None of that is, is true. It's part of why I was excited to write this story was to really try to dig in and discover, you know, these are all, these are all human beings who had a wide range of emotions um, and all kinds of baggage coming into this moment um, from, from all sides. So part of what I was excited and intrigued by was to rediscover, okay, what was, what was going through the minds of these young women? What were the, the tribal warriors trying to accomplish? What was the rescue party thinking and planning and all of that sort of coming together in this, in the collision of this kidnapping? Yeah. Well, it's so great because it does give a lot more context to the situation because I feel like this happens a lot in history where like you hear that like, oh, these people just kidnap these young girls for no reason. And it's like, well, let's take a look at the broader picture. (laughs) So I'm curious, how did you find Jemima Boone and this story? What got you interested? Uh, Yeah. Thanks for asking that. I, I'm always really interested in, in what true stories influence literature. So um, I'm always curious about that. It's not always the case that that a short story or a novel will will have some root in in fact or in in a true event that inspires it. Or sometimes it could just be the, of course, the personal experiences um, of the author. If there is some some analog in this case, it was from the Last of the Mohicans. I was I for years um, was curious. Uh, or, or, or started to collect um, kind of the breadcrumbs of where the last Mohicans came from. I can't remember why I started doing that, but um, among many other novels, I'm just always curious about sort of those iconic books, right? And and this was one of the big inspirations for it. Um, again, like anything, not the only inspiration for it, and and plenty of it came from um, just Cooper's imagination and his life. But that's what got me. That's what got me started into looking at the true story. And I think what happens a lot is that the true story itself gets lost when that happens. You know, when when sort of an iconic piece of art or literature or film is inspired by something real, we 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 tend as a culture to sort of lose track of of that real story. And what I found is that the the story was was very much ended up a footnote in in the larger Daniel Boone or the larger Frontier saga. So you can find you know a couple paragraphs or a couple pages on it in you know a, a six hundred page book about Boone or, or biography of Boone or the Frontier. Um, what I love best in telling stories and in, and as a reader or, or a member of an audience is really zooming in on on a much more contained story. In this case. Um, the my book is is takes place over about two and a half years. So starting with that, um, the sort of the first moment of Jemima and her friends going on the river, and then continuing with the, with sort of a chain reaction of events. Mm-hmm. And I mean, along with telling this story that people don't know a ton about, were there any major themes that you wanted people to pick up while reading? Like, what do you want them to garner about early America? Uh, yeah, I think that there's so many um, misconceptions we have, uh, or, or many of us have. I mean, some of us might be 
professors of, you know, of, of early American history, but most of us aren't, right? <laughs> we, we grow up with, um, with certain ideas, and, and even as we start to read and consume more sophisticated material, some of those ideas um, still kind of rattle around in our minds. So definitely one thing that, that I think is, is really um, interesting is the, the interactions of the tribes and the settlers and how complicated it is and how, how much of it was in flux. It was really not predetermined kind of where it would go. And there are several people, including Boone, um, including members of the tribes who who were trying to find some way in which there would be a more unified community. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that Daniel Boone was was without flaws in terms of his relationships with um, or, or his relations with the tribal communities. Um, he certainly was. Uh, the, the, but but he he hoped for a kind of peaceful coexistence, um, even when he was kind of sabotaging that through through actions that may not have been deliberate um and and it was just this this alternating rhythm of of being of fighting and trying to find that that common ground um that was that ended up kind of inescapable uh and sad and and sad at the same time um this particular story just unfolds with so much drama uh, and as someone who's also written in fiction, that's 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 a real treat as a storyteller to find a story that just keeps getting more built up and more dramatic and 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 of course in this case all true. Yeah. And so this is obviously based in the Kentucky area. So I'm not sure where you live, but did you get to travel and like do any research yeah. that way? Yeah, I did. At the time, I was living in in the Boston area where I lived for many years. Now I'm I'm actually back where I grew up in South Florida, um, but I did get to go to Kentucky. And and you know, every book um, for a writer, part of the experience is just is just your life at the time that you're working on the book. And and it's a it's a funny thing because it may or may not have anything to do with what shows up in in the book. But as as a writer looking at a book that you've worked on, you know, that's embedded into it. And for me, part of this one was um, the opportunity of, of going to Kentucky with, with one of my children, who at the time, I'm trying to think, uh, must have been nine-ish. And he was, he's just always been enthralled by um, American Indian culture and about the history of America and uh, that was just a real treat is that he kind of became my research assistant on those adventures um, and, and really exploring, for example, that recreated Fort uh, Boonesboro, where this of, of, which is where the same spot where this story took place. And I, I can't help but think about like while I was reading about your book and talking to you about the American Girl Doll series, and when that was originally made, it was about setting these nine-year-old girls in a place where America is existing around them and they're trying to function within it. And I just kept over and over picturing Fanny and Betsy and Jemima just being these girls that are at like the crux of such an important part of history. Did you feel pressure juggling that important history when you were doing this writing? That's that's so interesting, and I never thought about that. I haven't had that much exposure to American Dolls. My daughter, um, I think, has had a had one or two, but I never sort of got a window into its history or or, or the larger kind of storytelling around it. 
Um, but yeah, it, it really, you know, it's my favorite. It's again, one of my favorite kinds of stories in that you, you have characters that you wouldn't necessarily think of, um, right. That wouldn't be the first thing we think of when we think of the frontier is, is those young women, um, who are traveling through it. And in this case, who are caught in the middle of this major sort of geopolitical struggle between the, the British who are trying to prevent America from breaking away from the settlers and, and colonists who are trying to form a country from the tribes that are trying to save their, their way of life. Um, and I definitely uh, was excited by that challenge and, and the challenge of making sure that those women um, at the center, as well as Jemima's mother, for example, Rebecca, had as much agency as I could put in. It's, it's, so, it's so frustrating that they were not taught to read and write because that means we have that much fewer sort of records um, or firsthand records of, of what they're thinking, of what they're feeling. So you have to, you have to try to recreate those almost, almost archaeologically um, by all of the, the clues that you could find around it. Yeah. Well, we're so excited for people to read this book and to discover this story that I'm sure a lot of people haven't heard of. <laughs> so thank you for coming on. And where can people find your book and you? Uh, yeah, I, I'm so excited for, for any of your listeners who who are interested in this to, to pick it up. Um, I, I have a website um, for myself, MatthewPearl.com. Um, the taking of Jemima Boone, you can order from a link there or from, from anywhere you like to, to shop for books. Um, I, and, uh, I also, I, you mentioned this at the top, have a, a digital magazine that I help edit called Truly Adventurous, which is very much in the same spirit as, as this. And, and if you throw that into Google, that'll come up, um, which is these incredible true stories that very often we are, we look at and say, oh my gosh, how did I not know about this? And, and this is so cool. And, and part of what makes, I think that come to life is, is that they're true stories, right? And I say that as someone who also writes fiction, but there's, there's kind of a bonus to that where, where we're experiencing something and knowing it really happened. Hmm. Well, thank you so much. It's been a joy to talk to you and we're so excited for everybody to get their hands on this book. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye